Today's reading is from Philippians 1, 21 through 30. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted, now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living in Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of Christ and the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids Quest, you're dismissed. Thank you. Good morning. What a wonderful reading. Thank you so much. Over the last few years, uh, the friendships in this community have been uh, one of God's clearest signs of His grace and mercy and kindness to me. And uh, I have a number of friends in this community, some uh, quite recently, friendships developed. You know who you are. And so it's a real honor to get to stand here today and a pleasure. So thank you for having me. Um, before we head into unpacking the scripture a little bit, just a, a brief story from my life. I was, a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to a room full of people. It was about 50 people at a conference. And um, uh, I was a bit tired and I was probably uh, overspoken. I'd spoken a little too much. And I'd spoken Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Wednesday afternoon came along and I was filling in for somebody and 
it was, a, it was a topic of leadership. And so I was in the room, ready to go. About two minutes before it began, someone on the front row said, can you answer this question about this, this topic and what you're going to be talking on? They asked me the question. And it was at that moment I realized I had no idea how to answer the question. And that I was woefully un- underprepared. So I, I came, uh, I stood behind the, the, the podium there in the room and started talking. And it didn't take me long to start having an out-of-body experience. Have you ever had this? It feels a little bit like, what am I talking about right now? <laughs> and shortly after that, when is this going to be over? I knew that I was drowning a little bit because I, I found myself doing something I never do when I'm speaking, which is I moved in front of the podium. Of course, I can't do that here. I'd fall off. But I moved in front of the podium, and I was so desperate to connect the, with the room that I started saying, I mean, right, guys? Right? <laughs> right? Just looking around, praying that someone would, would, be, would be nodding. And uh, by the end, I, there was three times literally where I opened my, my mouth and had no idea what I was about to say. And at the end, I basically said, you know, I'm, I know this wasn't very good, and I'm, not, so I'm sorry. Um, you never want to make it about you, but uh, I felt compelled to. I went up to my wife afterwards, and have you ever seen the image of, of a jet plane right after the pilot ejects? <laughs> that was a pretty good metaphor for what I felt had happened in the room. And so I went up to my loving wife, and I said, okay, Whew, okay, I know that wasn't good. I don't need to, don't need to hear that, but I just need to know how, how bad was that. And I said, was that a total bomb? And my wife said, no. And then she paused thoughtfully, and she said, not a total bomb. <laughs> and uh, we were able to laugh about it on, on the way home. I say this because as I'm sharing this morning, if at any point, I start saying, right? I mean, right, guys? You'll know just to smile and nod and throw me a bone. Uh, no, actually, I tell this story because I want to come back to it in a few minutes. And I also share it because how we come to God, how we come to Scripture, how we come to one another means bringing our humanity, our limitations, our brokenness, our weakness, our not having everything together. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our unsortedness, even our suffering. And this is, in fact, how we come into the divine presence, how we come to Jesus. And I, indeed, I want to talk to you this morning about suffering in a message that, I, that I've titled, Suffering, the Path to God. Yay! <laughs> Nobody wants to buy that book, right? But in the culture around us, what we often see is a real fear of suffering, right? A fear of aging, a fear of death, fear of not having enough energy, get your energy drink, buy it on credit, go, 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 go. Oftentimes, the only uh, response that we're given from the culture around us to suffering is run. And there's not much freedom in running. And Jesus wants us to live free and abundant lives that reflect the heart of God. And I think the Scripture this morning in Philippians invites us to consider suffering and what it means so that we can live in freedom. I've heard that eagles, when there's a storm coming, that unlike all the other birds, the eagles don't fly down beneath the storm, that they actually head right into the storm, knowing that the winds of the storm will lift them up. Now, 
I don't know if that's true, but it makes a heck of a metaphor. <laughs> and I think that's a picture in part of what God intends for us. So we read, or it was read for us, Philippians 1, 21-30 so well. I want to read the last two verses just as a recap. As Paul says to the church at Philippi, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. Huh? We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past. And you know that I am still in the midst of it. Well, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, this Roman colony in Macedonia, who Philippi was intent on being more Roman than Rome itself. As often happens when people are insecure, they compensate. The Philippians were intent on being good Romans. Well, Paul is actually writing this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. It's one of the four prison epistles, along with Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. We can read in Acts 16 about how Paul first came with Silas to Philippi. You may remember the story of Lydia, the rich cloth merchant who heard the message of the good news of Jesus and believed and was converted. It was in Philippi right after that that Paul cast uh, a demon out of a fortune-telling girl, a girl who was, who was demonized. Paul casts the demon out. The girl finds freedom, but lands Paul and Silas in hot water. The, the authorities don't like this. Rome is all about order, not chaos, and so Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. There is a Holy Spirit earthquake. Paul and Silas are ma- miraculously released. And the jailer runs in and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he has quite a history, Paul does, in Philippi. It's a community that he loves. And he writes to them now, in prison, himself a picture of suffering. Paul, a man who knew great suffering. I mean, Holy Toledo, by the end of his life, imprisoned twice, beaten countless times, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, thorn in the flesh, the whole deal. And here, he says you have the privilege of suffering for Christ. And he'll go on in this letter to say, rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Rejoice. I think about suffering, and my, my favorite, the favorite definition I've ever heard for suffering is suffering is simply facing anything that you can't control. It's facing those things that we want to change, but are, we can't change. Or feel powerless to change. Suffering has this external form to it, an outside force. For Paul, it's the Romans, the Roman authorities. And then there's our internal response. And a lot of our suffering is internally generated, right? Our response to what's happening to us, sorrow, lament, heartache. And the question for all of us, knowing that this world is full of suffering, is how then do we respond well? How do we bear up well? And to the church at Philippi, Paul is asking them to chin up and to bear up well in the face of opposition. There are those in Philippi who do not like this message of Jesus that's causing social disorder. We human beings love stability and certainty and control, even if we're miserable. Has anybody noticed that? We'll cling to that which makes us miserable just because it gives us a bit of stability. And the Romans certainly don't like this upheaval that comes from the message of Jesus. And so this passage has two parts. The passage we read just now. The first thing Paul says, it's better for me to go. 
And by this, he's, he's not contemplating suicide. He's not hanging up his, his sandals and saying, okay, the, the gig is up. He is just telling the Philippian church, hey, it's a real possibility here that I might die. His message is, and I'm not afraid. Because he has comfort not just in going to heaven when he dies, quote unquote, but in being with the fullness of Jesus whom he loves. And so he says, it's better for me to go. He's preparing them for the reality. It's very, the Romans had no problem with putting a social upheavaler, is that a word? To death. No big deal to them. So Paul's facing that reality and, and encouraging with the fact that he's not afraid. And the second thing that he says is, again, chin up. And then he gives them this crazy, scandalous phrase. You've been given the privilege not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Jesus' sake. What on earth is he talking about? We read the rest, or we read on in this epistle. We come to this famous poem, which is at the heart of the book of Philippians, Philippians 2. Where we read, you can put that up there, Jake. This famous poem, this famous passage. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, He did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up His divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when He appeared in human form, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul follows up this admonition to the Philippians to bear up well in the midst of suffering by immediately saying, because this is what Jesus has done. This passage, this famous passage, Philippians 2, this is, this is what theologians uh, call the kenosis, the great emptying of self. The emptying of ourself. The difference, or the opposite of apotheosis, right? Arising at the climax of the zenith. Enthronement. Divinization. And Paul says the exact opposite, that actually what Jesus did was emptied himself. And so for anybody who follows him, oh boy. Matthew Bates uh, describes the pattern that we see here in Philippians 2 as, as a reoccurring pattern. It's a V-shaped pattern. We read it, for example, in Romans 1, 1 through 1-5. This V-shape, the pattern of descent before ascent. V, not for victory, but V, the shape of suffering that leads to victory. It's the classic pattern of descent and ascent. What St. Augustine called the Paschal Mystery. The mystery of death and resurrection. As Jesus Himself said, unless a grain of seed, of wheat, falls to the ground and dies, it cannot live. Loss and renewal. And my friends here at Grace Long Beach, this, this is a pattern that you and I must come to trust in the core of our being. It's this pattern that Jesus Himself 
trusted the Father with. It's what Paul himself is demonstrating that he's willing to undergo so that he can experience who Christ is and what Christ himself experienced. Resurrection. It's the message he sends to the Philippians. Trust this pattern. Because we've seen it in Jesus. It's the same message for you and for me in this room today. We're invited to trust this eternal, ancient pattern. And at the heart of this pattern is this absolutely crazy belief that you and I are called to live into. Here it is. You don't come to God by your strength. You come by your weakness. You don't come to God by your strength. You come by your weakness. I like that phrase, you know, it has, uh, I think it's a good phrase. It's got a, it's got a certain poetry, a certain symmetry and beauty to it. But, thank you very much, no thank you. I'll continue trying to find the ways that I can be strong on my own, right? I'm not alone in that, right? That's what I like to do anyway. I mean, this is all well and good. It's, there's some theoretical beauty to this, but I'm, honestly, look around this room. What a beautiful room. I was stunned, the light that comes through these windows, such a metaphor for the goodness of God. And it's really comfortable in here as well. Isn't that wonderful? What is that, perfectly 71 degrees? <laughs> this is great. I'm going to try to align my life up with that, with beauty and comfort as much as possible. Because guess what? That's what it means to be a human being. We're all going to do that. None of us is going to jump into the big V-shaped pattern of descent. And the great temptation for all of us with all of life will just be to pursue the beauty and the comfort. Hashtag filtered life. Right? Hashtag, hashtag, right? This kind of, we live in this culture where appearance can be everything. I mean, the great temptation of American life is the temptation into illusion and fantasy that you can be safe from suffering and death. And it's just not true, it's just not reality. The great temptation of American life is this temptation to apotheosis, of being sexy, of having the perfect Instagram photos, of having the perfect amount of money in your bank account. And you know what? Those are all fine and good things. But they're not sure foundations for joy and freedom. So Paul, later on, he's actually freed from pr prison. And we can read a little bit of his narrative later on in life about how he reflects back to this period in 2 Corinthians 1. 8-9, through nine, listen to what Paul says about his suffering. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. That's Paul's commentary, his reflection on the suffering that he went through, went through, imprisonment and everything else, that by it he learned to stop relying on himself, on themselves, 
and to become open to God. He learned to trust in that V-shaped pattern of death and resurrection. Because the secret and scandal at the heart of the Gospel is that the cross is the place where the power of God is released. In the heart of suffering, the power of God can be released. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says this explicitly, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul is not a masochist. He doesn't enjoy suffering, but he loves Christ more than he's willing to avoid suffering. I would ask you then, as I ask myself, where in your life, where in your life might you be experiencing that V-shaped pattern of descent that leads to ascent? Think about all the many different types of suffering in this world. The suffering you see around you. Think about your own. Where might Jesus be leading in you into a deeper experience of the fullness of God which transcends all suffering? Now, I'm not talking about masochism. I'm not talking about enjoying suffering. I'm not saying that pain comes from God. I mean, goodness gracious, Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. We have a God touched with compassion who weeps at judgment who laments at sorrow and suffering. But where in the midst of that journey and this shape can we actually choose to become open to God so that we experience resurrection life that is more powerful than the pain and suffering of this temporary world, as Paul says. So after speaking to this room full of people and bombing hardcore as it happens from time to time. I was, I was driving home with my wife and um, I was able to laugh. We laughed a little bit about it. and I, I remain pretty differentiated. You know, right? you know what I mean by that? But my sense of myself and my identities, I kept it pretty separate from the fact that I just failed hardcore for about 12 hours. And I woke up the next morning. And I noticed this slow slide into despair. And I was literally driving home the next day from work and I was asking myself, what am I doing with my life? What is the point of what I'm doing? And Becca and I have walked through great sorrow this year in our our church, people who have left our church. Painful, painful season. So I'm aware that I'm in sorrow already. It's a low-level lament that's just always there, just beneath the surface. And in the midst of that, experiencing great happiness and joy, life is crazy, right? And we tend to think that joy and sorrow are far apart. Actually, what the Scripture says is they touch hands. They hold. They hold hands. But I'm driving home, and I'm starting to experience more and more anxiety, and I start to realize through this process that a belief that I know in my mind is not true, but which my heart clearly believes is coming to the surface that I am valuable based on how well I do. 
and that I will be embraced based on my success, whatever I think that is. But that if I fail, or I don't have it together, or I'm unsorted, then I'm in trouble. I'm editing my language here. And so, um, for me, it's been anxiety for the last three weeks. I don't like that, because I like to have it all together and be powerful. Again, whatever I think that is. But it's been like facing a wall of sorrow and anxiety, like that wave in the perfect storm that I don't know how to get over. We all have negative thoughts in our heads. That's not unique to me, obviously. The suffering for me is I can't control those away. Anybody else discovered that? I mean, part of the journey of spiritual life is you start off thinking that you can control God by doing things well enough you'll get him to like you, then you realize that doesn't work. Maybe you still think, because he already, he already likes us. Then maybe you think, well, I can control other people, get them to do what I want, then you realize that doesn't work. But the ultimate movement, I think, of spiritual life is when you realize, I can't even control outcomes in myself. After all, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who produces it in us. Transformation, change. What a harrowing realization when we realize that our work is just to become open to God. Not to transform ourselves. And it's actually that openness which transforms us. Guys, I don't like that. I would love for it to be a different way. I confess, I would love to be able to control God and then therefore not need Him. But it's only in becoming open to God that we're actually free. And I think that's, if Paul's driving at anything, he's driving at the the fact that sorrow, suffering can be a gift that opens us to Jesus, to God, to life, to wholeness, to freedom. And that indeed, this is the goal of spiritual life, is to become open to God, that we can, from that place, love and serve and know others as God has served us. So, how do you and I, how do we walk in freedom in the midst of suffering? And I think uh, Paul here in Philippians, he gives us a pretty clear direction. I'll put it in my own words. It looks like this. Learn to focus on something bigger than yourself. Raise your hand if that just comes super, natu- super easily for you. It doesn't, right? We wake up, or I'll speak to my fellow. So I wake up consumed with thoughts of self, but because of the grace of God and who Jesus is, we can train ourselves, we can learn to live in a life that's seeing reality outside of ourselves. Because hell is a heart of self-focus and heaven is the heart of self-giving love. So this is training we're invited into. That's why Paul says things like, love others, consider others better than yourself, as he says in this epistle to the Philippians. Come together as community. Stand in unity. He's telling them to train yourselves to make this shift of focus from self to others. And that what is impossible for ourselves is, is possible because of who God is. So, to land this plane then as practically as we can. Because we're flying in this concept of 
rejoicing in weakness. How do we actually do that? So I'll end with two thoughts from Philippians. Two things that Paul seems to thematize in this letter. Number one is rejoice, give thanks, gratitude. And the second is community. Gratitude and community. Gratitude. Listen to what he says. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Elsewhere he says, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Later he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. He just assumes that giving thanks will lead to joy. Now, gratitude and thanksgiving can be fake, right? It can be like the power of positive thinking or let my will myself to feel good about something I don't. Or it can actually be a release into, God, I thank you that you're with me. I believe that even if I don't feel it. And I'm going to trust that. A way of jumping into that V-shaped pattern. Not in enjoying suffering or pain. Not in being a masochist. But in saying, there is a God who sees me. Who holds me. And I'm going to give thanks in the midst of it. I'm going to be like that eagle who flies into the storm. I really hope that's true. It's a great metaphor. I experienced this a little bit yesterday with myself. Just in my anxiety and my swirl of negativity, this, uh, the, the patterns that, that start suffocating me in my own brain, the shift that happens when I say, you know what? Jesus, thank You that You're with me right now. I can't imagine how You can be so good to love me when I'm so unsorted. It's amazing. And thank You for the sorrow in my heart and lament because I know that You're with me in it. And for just a moment, I can, I'm learning to make that shift from self-focus into something bigger, that God is at work. And man, if I'm really feeling the grace of God, I start asking now, how can I love and serve others? What does that look like today, Jesus? See, we have to train ourselves into this life. It doesn't come naturally. There's a training that happens by the grace of God as we learn to rejoice and give thanks. Because Jesus is King and He is with us. And whatever darkness we see in the world or in ourselves, we can believe and hold to that. Even if our feelings don't immediately align with it. And the second thing that Paul says in Philippians over and over again is that community. Ground yourselves in community. Now look around this room. This can be a place that you come, that you quote-unquote go to church. Or it can be a place where you begin to find community, which doesn't happen by accident. True community is the place where we give each other permission to bring our unsorted selves. And so I would ask you, are you sharing your unsorted self? And are you giving others permission to bring their unsorted self? What would it look like to say to someone in this community, someone you trust, and we can't do this in all places at all times, but to say, hey, can we have coffee to talk through my unsortedness right now? My sorrow. Man, I need a listening ear. We give each other permission to bring ourselves. And when we do that, we're giving each other training in how we come to God. 
Because we don't come to God by our strength. We come by our weakness. Think of it. Anyone who comes to Jesus for the first time says, I need a Savior. I believe. Well, that's always how we come to Jesus. As we read Scripture, it's not just gratitude and community. There's all these ways that we come to God. Sabbath. Practicing rest. Fasting. But beneath them all is this confession of I'm human, I have weaknesses, I have limitations. And in the midst of that suffering, just the suffering of being a human being with limitations that we'd like to overcome, we can come to God. I want to ask you then to just spend a moment in prayer with me as the band comes. You know, hearing a sermon is not worth very much. You know that, right? You won't probably remember this. I probably won't remember this sermon tomorrow. I don't remember what I taught on last week. It's no disrespect to sermons. It's just that what has value is not hearing, but hearing and doing. So I'm going to ask you now to take yourself on and to engage in prayer. As you seek to hear and discern what Jesus is speaking to you and how you will respond and what trusting the Father, trusting Jesus in the midst maybe of a V-shaped descent and ascent would look like for you. If you want to, just put your hands in front of you as a sign of openness to God. You don't have to. But if that feels good and right to your body, I'm going to pray. Jesus, You are the great King who faced suffering and death and overcame. And You have created a pattern by which we can have hope. We love who You are that You save us from our sin and our selfishness and from death. How can You be so good that You redeem even suffering? That we can mourn and lament not as those who are hopeless, but as those who have great hope. So we can follow You into the path of God. Come Holy Spirit. Come and rest on this room. We know You're here, but we're asking You to make us aware of Your grace, Your presence. Come Holy Spirit. And we just pause and rest here. Practicing openness before You, God. I ask You to take a deep breath. Remembering that Jesus is as near to You as Your breath. Let's practice just being open to God in this space. So let me ask you, in your life, what does openness to God look like right now? Can you see it? What does trust look like? Does it look like gratitude? Does it look like having coffee in community? Does it look like being willing to enter into grief and lament? Does it look like being willing to confess that which you have kept hidden? What is the step that Jesus is speaking to you, not anybody else? And my sense, even as I pray, is that Jesus is speaking to us. So what does trust look like for you in your life?
I charge you then not just to hear this message. That's really worth very little. But I ask you to respond to what you think Jesus is speaking to you, for that is of great value. And now, Jesus, by your grace, do this within us. Empower us. You who work both to will and to do within us. We open ourselves to you and we ask for mercy and mercy and mercy. And we ask for mercy for our suffering neighbors. Help us to love them well. We ask for mercy over this suffering world. Help us to live with eyes wide open, with hope. And we close, Jesus, by just proclaiming the good news that you are king, that you have defeated death, that you have suffered for us, and that we can follow you into a life of freedom, not running from suffering, but flying into the storm, because you are the God who holds us. So come, Holy Spirit, and hold us in our belief and make all things new in this community. As we sing now, fill us with your Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, comfort. Comfort by the hand of our King. Amen.